That sounded pretty good. I didn't clap that time. I think I've been throwing y'all off. And uh, so it was just perfect that time. That, we figured out where the weak link was. Have you ever watched, what, what's that show? The, the, the voice. Every now and then, the voice, the audience starts clapping. And one of the judges says, man, I got to teach this audience. He just needs to come to this audience. You know, this is, y'all got it. It was good. So I was proud of you. Last week, we looked at God's protection. This week, I want us to look at God's provision. A wonderful passage in 1 Samuel chapter 21, 22, and 23. Let me read you kind of a summary of these stories that are here and uh, remind you kind of what's here, then we'll work our way through it. 1 Samuel chapter 21, I'm going to begin at verse 10. Then David arose and he fled that day from Saul, and he went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David the king of the land? Did they not sing of this one as they danced, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? David took these words to heart, greatly feared Achish, king of Gath. So he disguised his sanity before them, and he acted insanely in their hands and scribbled on the doors of the gate and let his saliva run down into his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man behaving as a madman. Why do you bring him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this one to act the madman in my presence? Shall this one come into my house? So David departed from there, and he escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's household heard of it, they went down there to him. Everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him, and he became captain over them. Now there were about 400 men with him. And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and my mother come and stay with you until I know what God will do for me. But then he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all that time that David was in the stronghold. The prophet of Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed, and he went into the forest of Hebron. Now over in chapter 23, verses 15 through 17. Now David became aware that Saul had come out to seek his life. While David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish, and Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David at Horish and encouraged him in God. Thus he said to him, Do not be afraid, because the hand of Saul, my father, will not find you, and you will be king over Israel. I will be next to you, and Saul, my father, knows that also. All right, that's enough to kind of get, begin to get a flavor that David's on the run, and he really can't figure out where to lay his head, where to stop, where to camp, where to live. Uh, everybody's out to get him. And what we're going to see in these three chapters is that even no matter where he goes, God constantly is his provider. Uh, reminded me a little um, uh, baby in a high chair, uh, five months old, and the baby's about to fall asleep. And you've seen that scenario where a uh, little baby in the high chair and their head just... Oh, You know, and he's like, that was so pitiful. And I was watching the baby in the high chair, just couldn't keep its head up. 
and right stuck right in the high chair with the baby was a little teddy bear. And I thought, that would make a perfect pillow. Just pull out the teddy bear, lay it right there, and you're good. You know? But a five-month-old doesn't know that. Doesn't know that teddy bears make great pillows yet. You would have to give some instruction. You'd have to give some counsel. You'd have to give some encouragement. You might have to pull it out and put it there for the child. Well, thankfully, we just picked the child up and put it in the crib. But anyway, you get the point. There's times in your life where you and I are like that baby. We just feel like, man, I am so busy with work, with family, with extra activities. I just feel like I don't have time to lay down and rest. How do I get that time? And you need some counsel. You need some encouragement on how to do it and how to be provided for. David was a man like that. It's where do I lay my head? Where do I finally get some rest and peace? Um, how do I find that? And he's seeking counsel. He's getting encouragement. He's getting um, direction and provisions from God. I want to see just as you to see just like God gave it to him, he gives it to us. That's the kind of God we have. I think he's left us this passage of Scripture just for that purpose, to show us how he provides us with his counsel and his encouragement and his care. Let me refresh your memory. If you weren't here last week, chapters 18, 19, and 20, it just becomes obviously clear Saul wants to kill David. Those were the stories where David's playing his little 13-string harp, doing the music for Saul. Saul picks up the sphere, the spear and throws it at him twice. David becomes aware, is it my adopted dad? You know, David's been adopted into the king's family. He's living in the palace, but the king now is throwing this spear at him. He's got a sword-throwing dad, so to speak. I got to get out. I got to leave. He goes to his wife. She says, I'll help you escape. Other people help him escape. That's where we pick up the story. That was 18, 19, 20. 20 chapter 21, he's, he's running for his life. God protected him every time somebody tried to kill him at home. But now he's got to leave his home. And where do you go when the king is after you? The king has all the resources of the kingdom. How do you run and escape that scenario? Well, you know, David says, well, the only way to do that, I've got to get out of the king's domain. I've got to get out of the country. And it would be the same here. We have fugitives that said, you know, the only way to escape the wrath of America, if, if, if they've done something America dislikes, you've got to get to another country that will take you in. So that's what David thinks. He says, what better country to go to than the Philistines, because the Philistines are Israel's number one enemy here. So David thinks of a city in the Philistine territory. He says, I'm going to go there and see if I can't escape, because that will be the one place Saul won't come after me because of all the enemy that's there. So I read you that part, verse 10 of verse 21. David uh, goes to Achish, king of Gath. Gath is the chief city in this Philista area. He's going to the enemy camp, and he thinks, you know, the enemies, they probably don't know me. 
I don't have any history with them, really. I don't, you know, they're not going to recognize me. Hopefully, I can slip in the city of Gath, and I can just hide, and I can find rest. Problem with that is, apparently, over in Philistia, they have the same radio station that's going in Jerusalem. And they're listening to the number one song on the charts. And that number one song on the chart is, he's a killing machine. Yeah, he's a killing machine. That old David, you know, he's a killing machine. And so they got the same tunes that Jerusalem's got. And as soon as he comes in, hey, that's the guy we've been singing about. He's the one that kills ten thousands of Philistines. And didn't he kill Goliath, our chief leader? When David hears that, he's like, you know, the blood just comes out. Oh, no, I'm doomed. They know me here. And as soon as he realizes they know him and they know what he's done, he comes up with this brilliant defense. You know, it's what we do here in America. He pleads insanity. And he just starts acting as wild and as mad as possible. He's obviously got a great beard and he starts drooling all in it to make it just really look gross and ugly. Probably messes up his hair and he's acting just insane. And when they present him that way before the king, the king says, I've got enough people like that. You don't, and nobody gets points for killing an insane person. So the king says, get him out of here. I don't want that. And David says, oh, good. He You know, he gets out. As soon as it's free to run, he runs. But where do you go now? Nobody in his home country wants him. Now the enemy doesn't want him. And you begin to feel this guy has no place to go. And sometimes we feel that way. It may not be as dramatic for us, but sometimes we feel that way too. Oh, And so where do you run? Well, now, that's the story. Let's kind of pick it up um, from the beginning. Chapter 21, um, verse 1. Then David came to Nob, to Elimelech, the priest. And Elimelech came trembling to meet David. So this is David running out of town, out of Jerusalem. Elimelech comes trembling to meet David and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? Wow, get that picture. Here's, Here's the guy who's who's going out to battle for Israel, and he's their number one leader, killing 10,000. Elimelech says, uh, what's, what's up? I mean, you don't go somewhere alone, not in your position. There should be a security detail. There should be soldiers. There should be troops. Everybody follows you. What, what's, what's going on? This is, this is wrong. This is mysterious. Elimelech doesn't know why he's seeing David, and David tries to fool him. But you get the picture of David realizing you can't take people with you when you're trying to hide. He's trying to get out. Verse 2, David said to Elimelech, the priest, The king has commissioned me with a matter and has said to me, Let no one know anything about the matter on which I am sending you and with which I have commissioned you. And I have directed the young men to a certain place. Now, therefore, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread, or whatever can be found. The priest answered David and said, There's no ordinary bread on hand, but there is consecrated bread, if only the young men have kept themselves from women. David answered the priest and said to him, Surely women have been kept from us as previously when I set out 
the vessels of the young men were holy. Though it was an ordinary journey, how much more then today will these vessels be holy? So the priest gave him consecrated bread. And there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which was removed from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place when it was taken. Now, one of the servants of Saul was there that day. This becomes important later. Detained before the Lord, his name was Dog, the Edomite, the chief of Saul's shepherds. David said to Ahimelech, Now is there not a spear or a sword on hand? For I brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's matter was urgent. Remember, David was basically let down from through a window and escaping. Has no sword, no bread, no food, no backpack, nothing. He's trying to pick up some supplies. Basically, verse 9. Then the priest said, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah. Behold, it is wrapped in a cloth, and it's behind the ephod. If you would take it for yourself, take it. For there's no other accepted here. And David said, there's none like it. Give it to me. So David gets to pick up bread. He gets to pick up a great sword. And he gets really the blessing of this priest that he goes before. He still needs a place to go. So I've told you the story, verse 10. So he tries to go to Gath. That doesn't work. Uh, and he's got to go beyond that. Uh, so David goes to Gath, doesn't work, then chapter 22. David departed from there, and he escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's household heard of it, they went down to him there. So David gets to a cave. There are people, he's no longer alone, people start coming to him. Let's read about the cave just a little bit, um, so you feel about how you get that. Chapter 22, verse 6. Saul heard that David and the men who were with him had been discovered. All right, back up just a little bit. David's in the cave. Somebody tells Saul David's in the cave, so that's what he means. Saul found out, okay, now we know where he's at. He's not on the run. He's camping out in this cave of Adullam, and we pick up that story. Now, Saul was sitting in Gebeoch under the Teramus tree on the height with his spear in his hand, and all his servants were standing around him. Saul said to his servants who stood around him, Here now, O Benjamites, will the son of Jesse also give to all of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? For all of you have conspired against me so that there is no one who discloses to me where my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse, and there is none of you who is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in ambush as it is this day. So Saul's you know, playing his pity card. He's also playing his power card. Who's going to give you more than me? I'm king. And obviously y'all are keeping a secret from me. I know David has been found. But why, why are not all of my men running to me and say, I know where he's at and I can get him and I can take him out for you? Why are y'all not doing that? So Saul throws it out there. And this is the answer he gets, verse 9. Then Doeg the Edomite, remember he was there in Elimelech's camp. Doeg the Edomite who was standing by the servants of Saul said, and he's just a shepherd. I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob. So he, I saw David. 
I saw him. I know where he's at. He came to Nob to Elimelech, the son of Hahitub. He inquired of the Lord for him. He gave him provisions, and he gave him the sword of Goliath of Listing. Then the king sent someone to summon Elimelech, the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all of the father's household, and the priest who were in Nob, and all of them came to the king, and Saul said, Listen, now son of Ahitub, and he answered, Here I am, my lord. Saul then said, Why have you and the son of Jesse conspired against me, and that you have given him bread and a sword, and have inquired of God for him, so that he would rise up against me by lying in ambush as it is this day? So there he is, basically accusing him. You blessed him. You gave him bread. You gave him sword. You gave him the priestly blessing. What? Are you against your king? Verse 14, Then the Limelech answered the king, and he said, And who among all the servants is as faithful to David? Even the king's son-in-law, who is captain over your guard, and is honored in your house. Like The last time I heard, he was living at your house. He was honored. He was your man. I mean, why are you accusing me? Verse 15, he's like, I didn't know I was helping him. I thought I was helping you. Verse 15, that argument doesn't work. Did I just begin to inquire of God for him today? Far be it from me. Do not let the king impute anything to his servant or to any of the household of my father. For your servant knows nothing at all of this whole affair. I don't know what you're talking about. Verse 16, but the king said, you shall surely die. Ahimelech, you and all your father's household. And the king said to the guards who were attending him, Turn around, put the priest of the Lord to death, because their hand also is with David, and because they knew that he was fleeing and did not reveal it to me. But the servants of the king were not willing to put forth their hands to attack the priest of the Lord. Then the king said to Dog, You turn around and attack the priest. And Dog the Edomite turned around and attacked the priest, and he killed that day 85 men who wore the linen ephod. And he struck Nob, the city of the priest, with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and infants and oxen and donkeys and sheep. He struck with the edge of the sword. Pretty serious stuff. What's the message Saul is giving out? Saul is making a point. He's making an illustration here to his entire kingdom. And that illustration is that if you help David, I will kill you. These guys say, we, we didn't even know we were helping him. We thought we were helping you. That's precisely the point. You help David, I will kill you. I don't care whether you know it or not know it. David is enemy number one. Anybody found helping David and anybody not helping me will be eliminated. Not only you, but I'm coming after your entire family. I'm coming after everything you own and possess. It will be wiped out. So where does David go? I mean, that's, that's the stamp on his back. Anybody that speaks to you, anybody that prays for you, anybody that blesses you, anybody that gives you anything will be wiped out. That's Saul's message. It's strong. How do you find provisions in that scenario? Don't miss a couple key verses. Chapter 22, verse 5. The prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold. Depart. Go into the land of Judah. So David departed, and he went into the forest of Hebrath. That's counsel. That's godly counsel. That's perfect 
direction. That's the provision. Who gives it to him? The prophet. God speaks to the prophet. The prophet speaks to the people. And God is said, I have a message for David. I know nobody will speak to him. You must go and you must speak to him. And you need to tell him where there's safety. So you see that. And then look over at chapter 22, verse 20. Right after Dog the Edomite kills everybody, or in the process of killing 85 men, women, children, and all the animals, during that time, verse 20 of 22, says, But one, one son of Ahimelech, remember he was the priest, so this is the son of a priest, this is the upstart priest, one son of Ahimelech, son of Ahitab, the grandfather, named Abiathar, escaped, and notice where he goes, straight to David, God's messenger. He sent him a messenger to give him direction, and now he's sending him a permanent messenger, a priest. We sometimes skip over those kind of little verses thinking, oh, that's no big deal. No, that's a big deal. Because these are the verses which everything hinges that God's going to speak through his normal means, his preachers, his prophets, his priests. And he's speaking to David, not to Saul. It's God's provision. I know you're in the worst scenario anybody could imagine. An entire country is out to get you or, you know, at their own peril or they die. But I've got a place for you. And so the prophet comes and says, this is where you need to go. And when you get there, there'll be a priest waiting for you. He's, he's going to be there so that you constantly get the message from God you need uh, at just the right time. Now, chapter 23 begins to illustrate that. Verse 1 of 23, Then they told David, saying, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Kylock and are plundering the threshing floors. So David inquired of the Lord. I mean, these, these are some of David's friends, his buddies. The enemy, the Philistines, are fighting against Kylock. They're plundering them. So David says, inquires of the Lord, shall I go and attack the Philistines? Because that's what I'm good at, remember? I killed ten thousands of them. Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, yeah, go and attack the Philistines and deliver Kylock. Well, that's what David does. I won't read the whole story because I'll run out of time. But he goes to this, this little town of Kylock, and the Philistines, sure enough, they're there plundering him. David comes in. By this point, he's got 400 men with him. But he's such a master at strategy and military. And he's got the blessing of God. He comes in, wipes out the Philistines, and delivers this entire city. And you're thinking, oh, good. Now he's got cities, he's got walls, he's got people who hail him as their hero. Their lives would have been destroyed if he hadn't showed up. He shows up, he gets in the city, and then Saul hears about it. Okay, we know where David's at because people are telling him now. Saul says, okay, I'm going to go to Kylock. David hears that Saul hears. And so then he inquires of the Lord. Okay, God, it would make sense that the people I just rescued, I mean, I saved their lives. They should be indebted to me. But I don't know. Can I trust them? Will Kylock save me if I stay in the city, if I fight Saul behind these walls, and I've got all the forces of Kylock, will they be on my side? 
and the priest that fled to David said, not going to work. It's a good thinking process, but not going to work. As soon as Saul and all of his army, the thousands that are going to come against Kilot, as soon as they show up, somebody in Kilot's going to turn you over. They're not as grateful as you might think. Again, how did that happen? See uh, verse 12 of chapter 23. Then David said, Will the men of Kilot surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will surrender you. Then David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Kilot, and they went wherever they could go. And when it was told Saul that David had escaped from Kilot, he gave up the pursuit. David stayed in the wilderness, in the strongholds, and remained in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph, and Saul sought him every day. But God did not deliver him into his hands. You see, over and over and over, you're getting this message that God intends to provide for David. No matter how great it gets, how many people come against him, even when he's got friends he can't count on, God's still there one step ahead and providing for him everything he needs. Um, what counsel? You know, so back when you, when you see that counsel in chapter 21 and chapter 22, when you see it again in chapter 23, again in chapter 22, uh, you say, wow, what a revelation. What, what a privilege to have a God like that. A God who knows the end from the beginning, the first and the last, who knows every scenario and can give you direction through his word on just where you need to be, what you need to be doing, and how that's going to be good for you. God did it over and over and over. Um, it's a God thing. Uh, we see it, I see it almost every week. I appreciate those of you who come and give me encouragement. There are a few weeks I, I, I walk out and nobody says good sermon, you know. There's a few, and sometimes those are lonely times for me because I put a lot into giving you the Word of God. But many, many weeks, I have people saying, I started to call you because I just didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to teach. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to work it out. And you've got some scenario. And then you tell me, but while you were preaching, God told me. God gave me the answer. And as you're giving me that testimony, I'm thinking in my head, yeah, but I wasn't saying anything in my sermon about your scenario. And then I realized I don't have to be. I can be a poor preacher with a poor message, but God chooses to make me a channel, and he speaks through it, and you hear just what you need to hear. That's a God thing. And it happens over and over and over. It happens when you open the Bible and just start reading. It happens when you go to a class and somebody else is teaching. That's the way God provides for his people. He still speaks today. He speaks through his prophets and his priests he speaks to his preachers and his teachers. And so when you come and you open your heart to God's word, you get direction. You get a provision uh, that the non-Christian world is not getting. How wonderful that is. So I said, don't miss the beauty of this 
over and over and over again. You know, sometimes you get it directly. You, you go and you ask, just like David did. He went and said, God, I would think I would be safe here, but will I? I don't know. And God says, no, you're not going to be safe there. Pick up and move. Run for your life quickly. And David does, and he escapes. I remember a lady coming and saying, you know, half of my friends say I should not marry this guy. He's, 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 he's terrible for me. I think I, I want to, and I just don't know. I'm, I'm torn from one group of counselors saying don't, and another saying yes. And so she comes directly and said, what should I do? I said, let's pray. And prayed. I said, okay, I know what you need to do, and after you do this, you'll know. She says, what is I said, I want you to go read 1 Corinthians 13. You know, that's the love chapter. I want you to read it 30 times. I want you to read it once a day for the next 30 days. And I want you to meditate on it. And I said, after 30 days, you'll know whether you love him or he loves you. I said, God will make it clear. After 30 days, she had her answer. And she lives happily ever after today. Because God uses his word and meditation upon his word to direct us. Sometimes we need a little direction on what parts of his word to turn to. But God does speak, and we can count on that because that's the kind of God we have. Um, one of my favorite verses, one of the, the songs we were singing earlier, I think it must have come straight out of this text. It's Psalm 63. And this, this is the heart, this is the life of a believer. Psalm 63 first couple of verses oh god you're my god and you can hear david saying that even though everybody's against me i know if god's for me i'm okay god you're my god i shall seek you earnestly my soul thirsts for you my flesh yearns for you but then catch the second part where in a dry and weary land where there's no water thus i have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory and I see you when I, when I worship. I see you when I get into your place. I see you when I get into your word. And my soul yearns for your word, for you. It's dry. It's weary. I'm worn out. What I need is God. And if I get God, I'll get enough. That's the provision God gives us. Just, just rejoice in that. Second, I want you to see not only does God give us clear counsel when we need it, but he also gives us encouragement that goes along with that counsel. It's, it's cheering us on. Chapter 22, uh, this, this is what really convinced me of God's provision in this passage. It, it, it happens several times, and it's just, it's just mind-blowing. Chapter 22, verse 1 and 2, David departed from there, and he escaped to this cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's household heard of it, they went down to him there. And I'm thinking, what? Everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him and became captain. he became captain over them. Now there were about 400 men with him. And you see that grows to 600 by the next chapter. And when I read that the first 10 or 15, 20 times, I'm thinking, this is unbelievable. How does this happen? Saul and all of his kingdom of after David, and Saul constantly says, I don't know where he is. Why is nobody telling me where he is? And then some start telling him. But Saul, with all of his resources, can't find David. 
How did mom and dad find him? How did the brothers and sisters find him? How did 400 discontented debtors find him? It's like, how does that happen? You would think, as they start streaming to this cave of Adullam, it must be a nice cave, you know, to hold all these people, as, as they start sneaking up, you know, is, is David in there? Oh, good, that's who I'm coming for. I'm his friend. You know, you, you've got to go through that scenario how many times, and how is it Saul can't find this out? See, that's a God thing. God's provision, he's protecting you can find him, but somebody else can't find him because you're there for one particular purpose. And that's to, to support him, to care for him. And David's in disbelief, really, I think, when mom and dad show up and his brothers. Because you remember those brothers just before the battle against Goliath, how they were belittling David? David, you're supposed to just be bringing us food. You're not a soldier, you're a shepherd boy, you know, and go back home, you know, you're not in this fight. You know, now, who's bringing the food? Now, who's caring? And David's got to be in disbelief, and he, he goes a little bit later to somebody he can trust and say, take care of mom and dad. Mom and dad do not need to be following me around. But why were mom and dad there? To say, David, we're with you. We support you. We're, we want to encourage you. You're a godly man. You're doing the right things, the right way. Saul's the madman. Saul's the man who's throwing the spear, and it makes no sense. And these other guys that show up, you know, they've been through the school of hard knocks, are saying the same thing. You're the man we should be supporting. And that's what we're here for. We will give up our lives for you. You want to go fight the people, the Philistines at Kylock, even though it's, the odds are terrible? We're in. We're with you. You're our man. You've got the blessing of God. We saw last week, God always went with David. God is with you. So we support you. We care for you. What encouragement. You know, it reminded me of, a little bit, you know, the Little League baseball game. Who's cheering in the Little League baseball game? Nobody goes to those games but parents, really. You know, maybe some others are drugged. They're cheering their kids on. And you can, I just love going in the sense of watching the kids' eyes. When they do something, it's they, they're looking for mom or dad, and if they get that encouragement, it's all they need. And, and you see... God giving that encouragement from mom and dad and brothers and sisters and others to David. Um, and it's that that's divine cheering that's really happening to encourage him. Um, when I, I got home one summer from college, and I had, I had known this guy, his name was Paul, and Paul and I weren't close friends, but somehow we connected first week kind of back for the summer, and... I said, hey, why don't we get together some? He said, oh, I need that. I didn't know how badly he needed it. I didn't really know him. So I went over to his apartment there in Greenville and started spending time. We both played guitar. He was much better than me. And we hung out, and um, uh, I started doing that every week. Find out he had 
just broke up with his girlfriend. He had proposed, and it wasn't going to work, and he was devastated, lost his job, all sorts of things. Uh, And at the end of 10 weeks, you know, I'm going back to college, and he knew this was our last time to see each other for, for whenever, almost forever. And he gave me a little plaque, and the little plaque says, you walked in when everyone walked out. And I didn't know I was doing that. I thought we were just hanging out. After the plaque, I realized God sent me in when everyone else was walking out. I didn't know I was the the cheerer. I didn't know I was the encourager. But obviously I was. And that was just God using me because we still know each other today, but I haven't seen him Maybe 37 years. So in other words, we're not that tight. I'm one of these 400 men that just happened to show up. Because God says, go to the cave of Adullam. You can get there a back way and Saul won't find you. It's like I go in the back door and I'm there for a particular purpose. And that purpose is to encourage somebody. I didn't even know needed encouragement. That's the work of God. And God may be using you that way, and you may be needing to be used that way. Know your Bibles, bring your Bibles. You know, God says, no word should come out of our mouth, Ephesians 4.29, except a word that encourages, that builds people up. God loves to use his people to build people up. So whoever you have the opportunity to spend time with this week or next week or whenever, use these words God's given you to build them up, and you might find that they're in a very tough place. And God has sent you there, every member's a minister, to minister and to give them just a little cheer, a little encouragement that widens their eyes and say, oh, somebody cares, and that's all I need to hang on. Well, David was getting that over and over and over. Rejoice in God's good cheer when it comes to you. Uh, There's times, you know, I'm sure you're like me, you just want to close the door and shut everybody out. David probably felt that way. The only safe thing to do here is to shut everybody out after that great battle of Dog killing everybody. I I don't want to be responsible for people dying. And yet God sneaks people in. Open the door to the cheer of God. Open the word. Open to the people of God. We need God's speaking to us and he does that through his people. Well, I'll move on a little bit more. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to leave you without. This is just so dramatic and wonderful. Um, God's given to David bread. He's given to David a sword. He's given David um, the blessing of the priest. He's given him mom and dad. He's given him the 400, 600 men and their families to encourage and cheer him. You just begin to see the provision over and over and over. And this section ends with this dramatic story somebody should make a movie out of. Let me read it to you. Chapter 23, you see God's care uh, when nobody else can do it for them. God does it. Chapter 23, verse 24. Then David arose and he went to Ziph before Saul. Now David and his men were in the wilderness. So he's there ahead of Saul coming of Maon. And, and in the Arba, in the south of Jeshimon, now you, if you, if, if you um, get your map and chart all this out, 
It, it gets dramatic. Verse 25, when Saul and his men went to seek him, they told David, and he came down to the rock, and he stayed in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard it, he pursued David in the wilderness of Maon. And Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul, for Saul and his men were surrounding David and his men to seize them. But a messenger came to Saul saying, hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid on the land. So Saul returned from pursuing David, and he went to meet the Philistines. Therefore they called that place the Rock of Escape. David went up from there, and he stayed in the strongholds of Engedi. Now, dramatic. Need to make a movie out of it, okay, all of you drama types. But you got this huge mountain, and David starts on one side. Saul starts on the other side. It's too huge, basically, to go over. Everybody knows there's a passageway at this end down here. Can't go back. We got to get there. If we get there, you can go off into a region of escape. And it's this crack in the rock, which they will call the rock of escape. So David is hurrying. He was there first. So he's out in front, and it, all of his men, their families, and everybody, run, run, hurry, come on, come on, come on, don't give up, come on, come on, come on. You know, they're running, running, running. Saul gets there. They get the messenger. He's right over here. We're right over here. We'll cut him off right up here. So they're running, and, you know, you're in the theater. You got surround sound, boom, 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 and the music gets louder and louder and louder and more intense, 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 and you get to see both sides of the mountains, and they're coming at it at the same time. It's like, oh, he's going to crush him, and you don't know. This is going to be terrible, depending on which side you're on, or wonderful. That's boom, 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 and just when you think, bam, everybody in Saul's camps fall away like ants. You just, it's like, and you're sitting there, I didn't see that coming. Because nothing in the drama or the music would have led me to that conclusion. I was expecting the warfare of warfares and the destruction of David. Everybody pulls back on Saul's side. Why? Because God sends in a messenger. And this has to be somebody you can drop dead support and trust. This guy comes in and says, Saul, stop. Saul says, what do you mean stop? The Philistines are raiding your home. And you've got to quit this battle and you've got to fight that battle. And Saul says, you're right. Bam. And they're gone. How does that happen? And why did it happen? It happened because God wanted to provide love and care for David. When he should have been destroyed time and time again, God was right there for his protection. We need to see that's the kind of God we have. I, I, was, I was sharing this with my daughter this morning as we were FaceTiming and checking out the little... Olivia, you know, and she says, Dad, are you going to sing Good, Good Father? And I said, no, I didn't think about that, but, but that's the message. That's the message. We have such a good, good heavenly Father who so wonderfully provides for us. We're going to sing Great is Thy Faithfulness. How, how 
faithful he is time and time and time again. For you and for me, we need to just stop and rejoice in the kind of God we have. How wonderfully he provides for us. Let me pray for us. Father, we get so wrapped up in all that surrounds us. And we grow weary. And we're like a little child with no place to lay its head. We're reminded that you so love us that you sent Christ to run through 33 years with no place to lay his head, that he might die in our place. What a provision you've given us in Christ. May we not fail to recognize and not fail to rejoice in Christ. May we not fail to recognize your wonderful provisions of care day in and day out. May we not be ungrateful. Forgive us when we have. May we return to worship and adore and love and cherish each and every word that comes forth from your lips to us through your prophets, your priests, through the Bible, through the ministers of the church. Lord, what a blessing we have being engaged with you. We thank you. Help us to just be overwhelmed with you and your faithfulness to us. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.